You may know that value analysis is an important step to getting your product to market, but what is it really, and how can it help position your brand for success? Understanding the key feature values of your service and being able to effectively communicate them can make all the difference when trying to pitch your medtech solutions. There are five steps in the process and this week at the Academy, the godmother of value analysis will walk you down the path. This and much more with the MedTech Business Academy. Joining us today from the MedTechspert team are... Hi, I'm Tom Hickey. I'm Senior Vice President of Business Development for TTI Health Research and Economics and the host of MedTech Gurus, a podcast that talks about healthcare innovations in the MedTech industry. I'm Barbara Strain, Principal and Owner of Barbara Strain Consulting. This is Skinner Derdy, CEO of The Clinician Exchange. Hi, I'm Scott Alexander, CEO of Gyrus Marketing. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Med Experts here working on our MBA. Um, we had a really interesting conversation uh, that we wanted to focus in on for all the listeners. Um, to set the stage, I was talking to a client of mine uh, who is in the surgical space, and they had brought this idea up around um, sort of, you may have experienced this, you've got to now register to be able to even be evaluated uh, or, or looked at at a health system uh, to potentially even get into the, the, the evaluation phase. And that really is flowing through value analysis. So we wanted to focus in uh, today about value analysis. What is it? Uh, why is it so scary? Why do people hate the value analysis committee? Um, right? W what does it look like to actually have a good relationship with that boogeyman? And then what are the things you should watch out for? So uh, we just so happen to have one of the thought leading experts on value analysis and the value analysis uh, professionals and what, how they think and how they act um, in Miss Barbara Strain. So we're lucky to have her on and also joining me uh, are Skinder Darity and Tom Hickey, who um, are both very handsome and very intelligent when it comes to <laughs> all things uh, adoption. So I, I guess, and Scott, I actually think you undersold Barbara here for a second. I did. He, I did. Well, just, I, like in, just like in the movie Old School, she is the godmother that's no right. value analysis, right? She right. is the godmother. You want to know about value analysis, you think Barbara Strain. And I'm not really necessarily did. making you an offer you can refuse. So <laughs> you, know, you got to look at it that way. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you probably wonder why in the world are we going to talk about value analysis for like 25 minutes or whatever? Because my guess is whether you're a new technology or you've been in the space a long time and stuff, when you put down your list of personas or customers or whomever that you're going to contact and you're going to sell to, value analysis may not have even been on your list. You say, well, I take it to the doc, I take it to this person, and, and if they've got a process inside, they'll just carry it through and you know it'll be a slam dunk doesn't quite happen that way. And I wanted to make sure that whoever our audience is, is today, that you need to put value analysis on that list of customers because it's all about value. And um, I think if we ask Scott or Tom or Skinder, who's been in a lot of different worlds and wearing lots of different hats. So Tom, what was your experience knowing about and understanding about value analysis? And we'll just sort of kick off here. Sure. Thanks, Barbara. You know, um, I've been in the business long enough that 
40 years ago when I first started, you know, to be a success in this industry, you needed six surgeons, right? Six surgeons to start recommending your product and you had a pathway to, you know, making your sales quota. Um, and value analysis in many ways, in my opinion, and, and a lot of salespeople are probably going to throw bricks at me with this, became <laughs> a, a necessary um, uh, event uh, or a necessary part of the system because it, it, let's, let's be honest, it was being abused quite a bit. You know, you get those, you play golf with a surgeon and all of a sudden your product's going in there purchasing and no idea and nobody knew how to use it. Um, but in some instances, you know, as it's taken hold, um, it's become this, um, you know, black box kind of scenario, at least from some of the folks in the commercial side of it. Because, you know, the old saying of if you've been in one IDN, you've been in the one IDN. <clears throat> so everyone's a little bit different. Having said that, to be a professional, you've got to understand what the requirements are for the IDN or the system that you're going to start to interact with. And value analysis is a big part of that. So my experience was I started to embrace it early on. Yes, it can create some frustrations because if you've got a surgical product like I've worked with over the years, you get everybody lined up going, this is a great idea. And then all of a sudden you go to value analysis and you get the big speed bump, right? And somebody's pumped the brakes and, you know, your whole calendar for the next quarter has gone away because you're going to be focusing on an account and now value analysis has to do their thing. So it's, it's something you need to be aware of. As you start down that process, you could do yourself, your company, and your other stakeholders a big favor by finding out who that value analysis professional or team is that you need to interact with and start to lay the information out, you know, prepare the landscape to make it an efficient um, process for you. So I started to work that way very early on and make that part of the sales process that I would be involved with. So just a little bit of that is, you're right, it's not really the person or the program or a team or whatever is in value analysis, especially in healthcare, we try to make it so it's a well-known process. And so if everybody, you know, understands that there's a process and the process is, you know, identifying clinical-based evidence and a variety, a host of things, and we go through it, basically five steps. So it's not really should be so much as a black box, but it's very prevalent out there. So we try to make it very transparent what's really needed and what it really looks like. Yeah, I, I think value analysis is like one of those things that like people think that they know, you know, it's kind of like a term like AI, like everybody knows, you know, <laughs> I, I should know what AI means. They know they might know it means artificial intelligence, but nobody really knows like, you know, best picture of the year. Nobody's ever seen that movie, you know, but it's, it's kind of like, that's kind of like what I think value analysis is. It's kind of one of those things that people think they know, but it, they don't really know. And it has so many different forms. But but it's not, it's not even as complicated as we make it seem, right? Like, I, I feel like it's supposed to be, like, I talk to people and you'd think it was the boogeyman, right? They're like, oh my gosh, value, the value analysis committee. And it's like, calm down, cowboy. Like, it's not that big of a deal. If you, if you understand your product and the value that it represents to a health system, you're not going to get cut off at the knees. Where, where you're going to get 
I don't know why I'm really aggressive with my language, but where you're going to get shot is, um, is if you don't actually understand the value of what your product represents to mm-hmm. the three parties that, that matter. Now, Barbara, you, you probably have a better um, framework, but like when, when I was at Mercy and uh, you know, heading up sourcing and everything, um, value analysis, the people that ran the value analysis committee reported into me. And so here's what we thought about, or here's what I at least thought about was every product needs to think about, see you know, the clinical aspects of it. So it's going to improve quality, right? F is financial, right? What's the dollars and cents? And then the final piece is the operational aspects. And I feel like, you know, we used to, cause we used to say like, Hey, you know, who's got the money in the, in the health system? It's the CFO, right? So clinical, financial, operational. I feel like everybody comes in guns a blazing again with my super aggressive uh, analogies with like, look how many, you know, I can shave 15 minutes off your OR time. And that's my, that's my clinical pitch or right. We have faster reduction in blood loss or whatever. And that's all fine and good. And then they just, they want to like not even talk about the financial piece because they, they don't have a good argument is really what it comes down to is like, if you, if you have a good argument, you should be proud about it. If you don't, then you need to take a step back and figure that out. But, yeah. but that's what we found was people have it. They just don't know how to explain it. So. Yeah, I'd sort of call it like the, the big gap analysis review, right? So every tech person on this call needs to understand that what's the gap, your product or your service, because it's not all clinical. Some of it is purchase services and a variety of other things, because we've done everything from valet services, waste, all kinds of things. You know, it's what's important to the organization that you're trying to pitch to, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to find out what their gap is. So it's a series of asking questions, telling the important story in a certain order, and you don't just say, I've got the nice shiny thing and here's what it does, is you have to figure out is what's the gap all around? You know, who has the gap? Where is it? And how does that product or service really help to close the gap so they can be more efficient, they can get better outcomes? So if you kind of think of it in some other simple terms like that, I think it's helpful. Barbara, when you're saying gaps, what do you what do you mean? So if you come in and you say off the top of your head, I've got something that's going to prevent uh, pressure ulcers from being formed in your hospital. Mm-hmm. And then you start to tell me all about it. But you haven't asked me what's my problem. So it could be that we've been working on it for four years since CMS started dinging people and the quality and all that sort of thing. Things that we should have been doing to begin with, but because it's so complex. Mm -hmm. So we've been systematically perhaps closing our own gap internally, which you can see by all the data we gather and we follow up on all of that. And there's quality data, there's purchasing data, there's... Uh, you know, readmission, all that stuff, data, but you don't take the time to learn it. Now you've just insulted a potential customer or non-customer or one bad word gets spread around to other colleagues of ours is now you're not going to make a deal at all because you've assumed. So you have to understand more about 
what are you doing, Mr. or Mrs. Organization? Mm-hmm. Tom, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to add to that. You know, Barbara made some really good points. And the other half of that equation is also do your homework, right? Um, do your outcome studies. And, and when you walk in and say, I can save 15 minutes of OR time, well, first of all, compared to what? Or, and then what does that really mean? Um, and, and how is that going to help the patient's journey? How is that going to help the OR with the return on investment? So you have one has to do their homework. So when you're talking to that value analysis professional, you can make a statement like that. But then, like my 10th grade algebra teacher, you can show your work. Mm-hmm. right? And that's really important because now you're saying, all right, I understand kind of the point of entry and a, a value analysis professional like Barbara's got, okay, now I've got something I can work with here. Does this mm-hmm. meet my uh, product criteria that, and does this start to solve the problem that I'm trying to solve? Yeah. You, you know, one of the things I used to like about the value analysis committee is it, it's, it slowed our clinicians down from just seeing something and being like, I like, I like shiny objects. Now, I'm not saying if we have any surgeons listening in on this, particularly in the orthopedic space, uh, I'm not saying that you like shiny objects and you like to chase those kinds of things. would never say that. But um, there's definitely an interest in whenever there's a new product, folks want to try it out. And I get it because I like technology too. But the thing that it let us do was it if somebody had a product and we weren't certain that it was going to be valuable, that doctor who was the champion needed to get up in front of their peers and say, this is why I need to have this product, right? This is the, this is the reason why, and, and look other professionals who are doing the same procedure or the same you know, type of care, they'd have to look them in the eye and say, the reason why I need the Watchman device is because I believe it's going to help with patients who have left atrial appendage uh, right, issues and that sort of thing. And, and they would, you'd have to essentially the surgeon or the physician would have to put himself or herself on the line to say, this is why I think it's valid. And their peers would push back. And that's a powerful conversation. And mm-hmm. what, what we found was the right products get through the system and the products that aren't, don't really have that strong value proposition don't. And it goes back to Tom, what you were saying, like you need to understand what's the value you're going to bring in. And when you have that, then it'll get through. But if, if you don't have that, then you really need to do your homework before you come in. So here's the question that, that I'm always like so curious about, and I'll point this to both you and Barbara, uh, Scott, is yeah. it's the eternal chicken or the egg question, right? Because mm-hmm. the first question you get when you go to value analysis is who's using you? And that's a bifurcated question. Who's using you? universally and who's using you within our network in our system in our Mm -hmm. idn right and now you're like well that's why i'm here i'm here to have people use my product that they kept telling me you have to present this in the value analysis nobody's going to use this until the value analysis committee stamps off on it so that's why i'm here but then the question is well if nobody's using you then maybe we shouldn't bring you on so help me walk and i'm sure i'm not the only one with that question help me walk through that that chicken or the egg question 
So I'll take the first stab at it, Scott, and then you can talk about it from your experience. But uh, probably a good 10 years or so ago, that was it was a really strong message that, no, we had to have that clinical evidence and we had to know who else was using it and stuff because you didn't want to be the first one and that sort of thing. Things changed a lot, depending on how progressive the culture of the organization, the advancement of value analysis, you know, how did you get, you know, uh, analysts that actually helped you pull data and do things, or was it sort of a loosely structured thing and that sort of stuff. But what happened is we were able to say, okay, somebody's got to get started somewhere. So let's root through why physician, you think you have a problem this needs to solve. So it would educate everybody in the organization so that they would say, did you know that we do uh, 250 of these cases a year? And in another, you know, one point eight months or so, half of those people will be back in to have a redo or to do it again because of X, Y, and Z. And then we'd all, you know, minds would be blown, right? Well, you know, but some people would say, well, that's great because we get more revenue and all this kind of stuff. No, we're just being wasteful in healthcare and people aren't getting the right treatment and all that sort of thing. So then we would go out on limbs, and we would say, okay, doctor, if we approve this for a period of time, we want to know how is it working? Is it really doing what you thought it would, what the company says it would and stuff? And then we sort of get our own data at that point. And that really started a trend and worked really well. And that even increased the effectiveness of value analysis because then people wanted to work with us because we were flexible. There are some committees today, so everybody has to be aware on the, the podcast listeners, is you're still going to get sometimes no. I've heard it out of the mouth of colleagues uh, having general conversations even just a few months ago. No, unless this, so they're very strict. And sometimes you have to be just because of the type of culture you have. But Scott, what's your experience and, and has it changed over time? And, and Tom might have some input in that too. Yeah, I, I think it certainly has changed over time. What, what I would say is um, to answer the questions kind of like, what do you do and, and how do you do it? I, I, think, you, I think you're always going to want to have a clinical champion, uh, regardless of your product, Right. Uh, I, I'm, and I'm assuming there's some level of differentiation. You're not selling, you know, sterile water or something like that. Like that's a maybe different story. But if you've got some level of clinical differentiation, you want to have a physician champion or clinical champion because they are always going to drive the boat um, when it comes to health. Right? That's that's just the reality of it. And so, you know, if I'm going to do it, and I'm a I'm a pretty you know, driven guy, I'm going to try and get some usage before I go to the VAC, but I'm also going to do it alongside or under the understanding that I, this is, this is a temporary fix, right? I am, we're going to try and get some, some uh, usage so that Dr. Smith says, yes, I see value in this, not let me see how long I can keep getting this revenue stream before I get called to the carpet. Cause that's a bad place to be. 
But if you want to see this, like, hey, let's, how do we go about starting to use this? And then if Dr. Smith, you think it's valuable, then, you know, we'll, we'll go through the process. That's how I would approach it. Um, yeah, because I think every health system is different, right? So what flies at Mercy is going to be different than, you know, fly at, you know, Common Spirit or you name it. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Tom, you were going to say something. I was just going to chime in too, you know, to your point, Scott, it depends on the product and the value. For instance, if it's, you know, a physician preference item, like you're dealing in neurospine and you've got a very mm -hmm. elegant solution, right? A couple of things. Number one, if you've got that surgeon champion, you want to prepare he or she with all the data that you have and make sure that they're comfortable with it because they're going to have to, in a sense, they're going to be your salesperson when they walk in the door to that committee. The other piece is to be ready to be flexible because I've heard more than once, you know, you've got one surgeon that maybe they've got a very good reason to use something that's an outlier, but now you're 10, 15, 20% more expensive. However, I've heard of situations where they say, look, doc, you know, we'll let you use that, but here's the price disparity. And we've had companies talk about, oh, well, okay. So if I'm going to have, you know, Dr. Johnston use my item, I better be able to cost match with that. So Dr. Johnston doesn't have to relearn a technology, can continue on their pathway, but the hospitals uh, had no financial impact. Right. Yeah. It, there's uh, lots of ways to spin that. And one of the things that you reminded me of, Tom, is that be very transparent. So don't try to not tell the whole story. For example, uh, we had two physicians, uh, surgeons, general surgeons came to the committee because we were they were on the docket, right? So we had all done our homework, talked with the supplier, various things, and we went through a, a scenario and said, did you know that not only were we having to pay for all of the products for this small study, but we had to pay exorbitant amounts up front as if, you know, we had to make a big commitment and things. And both the doctors said, if I'd known that, I never would have brought it here. So those mm -hmm. things need to be very transparent. Skinder, you had your mouth open there for a minute. Yeah, Barbara, I've got another question for you. Can you, again, I think it'd be helpful to the listeners. Can we back up and just do a fundamental? Can you share what is the makeup of a value analysis committee? Like what, who's on it? Who are like professional people that are value analysis people? And then I think that there's like some attrition that goes through and how many different value analysis committees are there? So we, we only have a few minutes to talk about this. So uh, <laughs> let me see if I can sort of compact that. Truncate. Um, yeah. Value analysis might consist of one person that may be uh, a nurse that may even be part-time versus a whole flotilla of people. I was talking with uh, a system the other day. They had 17 people. And over the last two years... Full-time people. 17 full-time people in their value analysis because they're a system. They've, they're doing mergers and acquisitions and things. So they believe so much that that is what helps to span the difference between um, getting, you know, products in and being effective, but doing the right thing all the time. 
professionals, uh, now I'm going to do a little plug for the Association of Healthcare Value Analysis Professionals, which I was one of the founding members. We've been in effect for uh, over 18 years now. And that's where we network. That's where we talk about each of these sort of uh, different steps and how we do all of this. Uh, suppliers can be members as well as any other clinical folks or whatever. So the, the profile, like I'm not a nurse, but I am a clinical person. I have a lab background. So I have a lot of geeky stuff and wanting to do analytics and stuff. But the actual committees, uh, there can be one, and sometimes they have a huge uh, following in which they have various physicians and respiratory therapists, and they try to bite off the elephant altogether. Sometimes there's sort of one of the best practices is you have an executive committee of leaders in the organization, like the CFO and the CNO, CMO, those sorts of folks. And then you have either ad hoc groups because the projects can be so specific that not one team can probably take care of it, but you usually focus on high dollar. So there's usually a periop, a cardiology, uh, those sorts of things. And then there's uh, nursing already has a lot of committees that they have to have in place in order to keep licensure and magnet status and things like that. So we dovetail into some of those rather than, you know, adding a lot more meetings and things to that. So another thing about homework is how is it structured? How is it reported? Because if whatever you're going to discuss as a, as a technology company, and it's going to be in front of a CFO or a CEO or whatever all the time, it's a lot different sometimes than I, as I'm one person and I'm helping to process things. And, and so the structure of the program, to your point, is really uh, important. And so that's one of the things you need to do your homework on. Similar makeup for what I've experienced as well, right? So you've got specialty councils where, you know, the cardiologists get together and they sort of self-police and the orthopedic surgeons self-police and that sort of thing. And then you have an executive committee where you're looking at the high dollar stuff. Um, and at least, you know, for us, it was run by a, um, uh, a supply chain uh, person. Uh, but you also had like, the chief nursing officer at Mercy had a permanent seat. You had finance at a permanent seat. Um, there were a couple of other folks that were that were permanent folks, and um, and, it, and it worked well. Um, I, I don't know that there's necessarily. I mean, I know there's variation, but I don't know that it's like completely different at different health systems. Unless Tom, have you experienced something outside of that typical structure? Um, no, I, my experience has been pretty much along those lines, you know, from just, you know, the one or two people up to, you know, several dozen, you know, depending on the size mm -hmm. of the system. So, you know, and that's part of the detective work uh, that it, it comes down to finding out who those people are and mm -hmm. what's relevant for the area that you're selling into. Mm -hmm. What so we had was key, which helped the suppliers understand how we could help them get to market quicker uh, by adopting a product quicker and getting to using it quicker, getting them then their revenue quicker is we had 
the finance person that was specifically uh, uh, their role was that particular line. So if we had a cardiology, we had a cardiology finance person on the committee. They told us all of our reimbursement. They told us all of the information we needed to know as far as how profitable we were currently and what we were doing. And if we moved it to an outpatient, from an inpatient, all those sorts of things. We also had the specific contracting agent as well as the buyer on the team so that when we got to the point and we said approved, they had the contracts done. They had everything done. It wasn't like a learning curve. Now, what did you just do? And you just handed me and it was four months later before they actually could negotiate the final contract. So we put everybody on a group short periods of time where we met, but everybody knew what was going on. So it's important for these technology firms listening to do their homework and understand enough so they have now a little list, almost like a checklist of questions. Do you have a clinical or a financial or whatever? And ask those questions. So when you go in, your information is going to be absorbed better in a story format that involves all those folks and you're not having to go, I don't know that information right now, let me get back to you. And then everybody moves on to something else. So if I could, I'd like to also put a, just a little different spin on this because if there are any value analysis professionals listening, you know, what Barbara just said is a very good point and you want your suppliers to be able to answer those questions. The, the flip side of that in the transparency picture is they've got to be able to find you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it was Dee Donatelli that told me once on my podcast, uh, uh, she's a very esteemed value analysis professional as well, that when she was doing work, she always made sure there's a contact card at the front desk of the lobby, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want salespeople traipsing around your hospital just blindly asking questions give them that point of contact, put it on the website someplace where, you know, the vendors can find that and understand at least what the entry point is and what the basic information is to start the conversation. Yeah, we, uh, heard, we hear that loud and clear and we try to profess that to all of our value analysis professionals at AVAP and, and others and write articles. Dee and I have been in front of a lot of suppliers, get that question asked and it's amazing what just a card at a purchasing department or a front desk does so barbara i've got another oh, scott go ahead no nope, go ahead I, I was gonna say i know we've only got a few minutes left we don't want to go too late but I, I guess i want to hear just in a few words a, a a supplier comes up they're presenting in front of value analysis in three words five words or less what is it that is the difference between as soon as they walk out that door and they close and you and all your brethren sit there and, and cluck together and you say, that was amazing versus oh, that, guy, <laughs> that guy needs to find a new job. We've had a couple yeah. of those. Yeah, those are those uh, always experiences. So five words or less. Uh, roughly. Homework. Tell us the, the reason why your product was developed or your service. Tell us how it's going to fix a gap that we might have and we might not even talk about money at the end 
Yeah. I, I literally had to do that. Luckily, I have my hand out here, so you, you couldn't see me counting, but I have five words. <laughs> Tell me why I care. <laughs> Great. Like, and, and, and that goes into clinically, right? To get there, you've got to have a clinical person. You've got to have a champion of some sort saying, this is a good product. So you know why they care, but you got to finance at, at the very least. You have a financial person who's in the room. You need to tell them why they care. And you got an operational person or, or more who are in the room. You got to tell them why they care because every time you add a product, where, where I've seen things get off the rails a lot, 90% of the time, is you come in and you haven't done your homework, right? You're all jazzed up because Dr. Smith, the fill in the blank, um, is saying, yeah, let's go to value. I love this product, right? I'll take it to the mat. Let's go get it done. And then you show up and you think that Dr. Smith is going to carry the day when, oh no, the CFO was in there. And he's like, hold on, Dr. Smith, you know, this costs twice as much. And all of a sudden Dr. Smith's like, well, hold on now. And then the operational people are like, you know, by the way, we have to go through specialty distribution for this. And he's like, I didn't know. How come nobody told me that? And he's now trying to protect his, his reputation inside the health system. And guess who's getting tossed under that bus? Mm-hmm. You are Randy, the rep, you're going to get burned because you didn't spend time building the argument up. I, I would just say, if, if you don't understand, cause I know we're right at time. Um, if you don't understand about uh, what diagnosis looks for, call Barbara strain, right? Call D <laughs> reach out to ASVAP, right? Because they're super open, right? It's not like this stuff isn't a secret. This is, you just need to take the time to actually understand what they care about. And your your close rates will just go through the roof because now you can go in and it's almost like um, if if you're used to being disappointed, like, I don't know, maybe this is, maybe this is not the politically correct way to say it, but like if you're used to being, the, the, it's Scott. So if you're used to, sorry, mom. If you're used to being disappointed and all of a sudden somebody comes in and does a barely passable job of anything, right? So my wonderful kids, I love them to death. We're not, they're not the the cleanest kids. If they clean up their room and they do a half-hearted job, I'm like, what can I buy you? You want a pony, sweetheart? Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. So imagine that's the bar going into the value analysis committee, right? The, The VAC is used to like getting just being disrespected. Like you didn't think about the operational considerations of my product. And now all of a sudden you want us to go spend more money to do more. Dr. Smith thinks it's an interesting product. Come on, man. That's, that's just, that's just straight up rude. So the bar is that low. If you come in and you're like, Hey, Dr. Smith, this is great. By the way, here's some financial pieces and some operational pieces that show me that I've actually show you that I've actually thought about why you should care. Guess what? You're, you're, you're probably going to get, people clapping on the way out. There's going to be like a high five from the CFO. Like it's good stuff. Actually do your homework. So uh, anyway, Tom, did, did you have something you were going to add in there as well? Um, well, I would, I was just going to, first of all, underscore what you said, you know, know your stuff and what's in it for your customer. Right. And then lastly, you know, the big no data dumps, right. Don't tell everybody why you're wonderful. Come back to what's in it for your customer. Yep, absolutely. Skander, any any parting thoughts? I mean, I'm just going to summarize this. Don't suck, basically, <laughs> is what I'm hearing. So that's right. That, that's the takeaway. Yes. Yeah. 
It's really all about value. And, and over the last two years, that means even more. And everybody's talking about showing value. How do we get back to value? How do we get back to those discussions? So it's all about value. Again, Barbara, a long time ago, you had a great equation for value. You want to reiterate that? I I wasn't, I actually was going to try to do this without doing that, but value equals quality divided by cost. Works every time, any industry whatsoever. Healthcare quality is outcomes, services, improving anything because everybody's at a certain level. They're paying a certain amount of money for quality at that level. So if you come in and say, I can improve that bit of quality, so this is knowing what your customer's really doing, and I can now give you back some value. And even if it costs a little bit more and that value increases so dramatically, it's gonna be worthwhile. So that's what we're looking for. Fantastic. Any parting thoughts? I feel like we've had a great conversation, um, but anything else we should add into the MBA course on value analysis? I think just don't be afraid of it. Understand it. Understand it. Don't be afraid of it. Take the cues from what everybody shared with you. And if you do that, you you can actually make it a successful part of your sales. Absolutely. Well, uh, Skender, Tom, obviously Barbara, I wanted to thank you all for the time. And um, hopefully if you've listened all the way through, you've learned a ton and you've, you're getting ready to graduate with your MBA in value analysis. So thanks to the listeners and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You may have thought you understood value analysis, but I hope this episode brought you even greater insight. Every medtech exec needs to first consider the clinical, financial, and operational value of their product before moving forward with the sales journey. Tune in next week as we discuss the ins and outs of trade shows. Continue to earn your MBA here at the MedTech Business Academy.